I'm Elliot Kraft, and this is The Cafeteria. Twice a month, we bring you the only English training podcast for Francophone professionals, exclusively for members of Kraft Anglais. Today, we're back with part two of our 2022 kickoff episode, where our goal is equipping you with the tips and tools you need to design an English training program you're guaranteed to stick with all year long. In today's pronunciation break, we tackle three of the pronunciation mistakes most frequently made by Francophone speakers in English. Finally, I take questions from you, the Craft Anglais community. So get yourself a coffee, pick up your frischti, and let's get started. It's only the end of January, and already it seems like months ago when we popped the champagne, elbow-bumped our friends, and rang in the new year. As things start to settle into place, it's the perfect moment to take a step back and remind ourselves about the bonne résolution we made for 2022. In the previous episode of The Cafeteria, we began designing a custom training program for Perfectionnement de l'Anglais that fits easily into your busy schedule while still delivering results. Whether you're an ambitious intern, a hustling associate, or a jet-setting CEO, there is a plan and a rhythm for ongoing English training that will work for you and that you'll maintain all year long. Last time, we established a frame for your program with some general guidelines and an exercise to help you discover a workable schedule. In today's episode, I give some tried and tested advice on filling that frame with content that will both challenge your English and keep you entertained. I also introduce some principles to help you maximize your return on investment. If this is the first time you're hearing about Craft Anglais, be sure to check us out at craftanglais.com. Creating your free account is fast and easy. Now let's get started. Act 1, Mini Lesson In the previous episode of The Cafeteria, we began our exercise with the idea of English for English, which I described as a special language training laboratoire that should under no circumstances be confused with the English we use in our professional and personal lives. While a productive conference call with an international colleague is definitely a win, what makes an English training program successful is a sustained encounter with the language whose express purpose is perfectionnement de l'anglais. English for English is just that. It's about creating a space in which to regularly immerse yourself in the language freely and without distraction. When working in English, just work. When enjoying an apéro with anglophone friends, just enjoy it. After establishing English for English as an orientation, we put in place an intelligent and workable training schedule by first setting a conservative weekly time commitment and then making it even more achievable by cutting it in half. We went on to divide this time goal into a couple of training sessions, distributing them more or less evenly across the week. In doing so, we privileged moments during your routine where you're somewhat immobilized and unlikely to be interrupted like a daily commute on the metro. In order to keep our exercise clear and actionable, I said I'd be limiting myself to three strategies, and the same rule goes for today. Before getting into the question of content, which will be our focus, I'd like to start with a couple of quick pointers to help you go further with scheduling. Because, as we saw last time, half of life is showing up. 
Assuming you've identified the sweet spots for English during your week, I want to encourage you to keep it consistent. If what's working best for you is a regional commute on Monday and a teletravail lunch break on Thursday, try to stick with that schedule. If you reinvent the planning each week, you're much more likely to start missing sessions than you are if your times remain constant. This is the way I work when scheduling coaching sessions with private clients, and it's been very successful. Everybody just knows, that's my English time, and nobody really needs to think about it. Having said that, it's important that you not feel like you need to stick slavishly to a particular schedule in terms of content, or that you can't give yourself a break. Variation and knowing when to slow down are keys to long-term success. So keep things loose and feel it. If you don't want to read on the Metro this morning, don't. Listen to a podcast instead. And if you feel like not doing anything for English today, then don't do anything for English today. But do try to commit to the same times each week to the extent possible, even if every once in a while you finally decide you want to do something else with that time. These two tips will help you keep your training both fresh and consistent. Last time I promised we'd go further on content today, and with good reason. The principles by which we select content for our programs can have a considerable impact on their success and longevity. Generally speaking, our aim in selecting content is to strike a balance between reading and listening. When it comes to listening, it's also important to balance content that's supported by nonverbal communication, like with series, films, or television news, with listening where gestural and visual data is absent, like with radio or podcasts. Each of these will challenge your listening in different ways. A second important consideration when selecting content is to choose materials with high editorial standards. These are the voices and personalities that will be accompanying you in your training, and they should exemplify the level and the style you want to bring to your own voice in English. While dramatic forms like series or novels are obvious exceptions to this rule, editorial standards for things like news, podcasts, and other media should be top-notch. Now let's talk about level. Generally speaking, I want you to set the bar high but not so high that you get discouraged quickly. If the articles you're reading from a given publication contain few unfamiliar words or phrases, then it may be time to find a source that will more consistently challenge you. If, on the other hand, it's difficult to complete a reading or follow the main lines of a discussion, try something more approachable. Now, this is important. If you do find yourself moving away from a challenging article or podcast, be sure not to forget about it entirely. After a couple months working with other materials, revisiting content that you previously found more challenging is a great way to measure progress. And there's a lot of satisfaction to be found in discovering that you're now able to get more out of content that was previously less accessible. Another critical consideration when it comes to selecting content has to do with getting hooked. High editorial standards and an appropriate level are meaningless if you're not actually reading, listening, and watching. The more addictive the content is, the easier it will be to make time for it. So while keeping the previously mentioned principles in mind, be sure you're selecting content that you're going to crave like dark chocolate or a Manhattan at the end of a long day. A final note about content. 
For some, it's important to select material based on the environment they're training for. If for you that's law, you may want to select series or films set in a legal milieu. If you're perfecting your business English, a finance podcast could be a good match. For others, the thing that keeps them returning to content is precisely the fact that it has nothing whatsoever to do with their professional activity. Both with the scheduling and the selection of the content, experiment and let your curiosity and personal predilections be your guides. There are lots of interesting ways to structure content so that you're seeing results and having a good time. So keep it loose and play around with it. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the importance of selecting reliable online reference materials. This is perhaps a discussion for another time, but you'll find links to my preferred online references in the entry for today's episode on the Craft Anglais platform. Now, let's look at a final consideration for your English training program, one I think is the key to maximizing your return on investment. So you've determined a realistic time commitment, selected some excellent content, and put together a strong reference library. Now what? It's true that your English will improve if you just follow your plan. But it will improve considerably more rapidly and with more solid and durable foundations if you follow that plan actively and with purpose. Here is the best piece of advice I think I could give to any intermediate or advanced language learner. If you want to maximize the benefit of your training and really make it work for you, it's critically important that you aggressively limit the field of problematics you're working on at any given time. I think a lot of students of English get frustrated because whether they realize it or not, they're trying to work on the entire thing all at once, turning English into an abstract, swirling, angry cloud of language. If this is you, do yourself a favor and cut yourself some slack. Because the fact is, it's just not possible to work on all of your English at once. It's essential to take it a few pieces at a time. Otherwise, English is working on you. If you've been around Craft Anglais for a while, you'll have noticed that our raison d'etre is helping Francophones excel in their language learning journeys precisely by narrowing the field and focusing on the lessons that really matter. Rather than an exhaustive approach that imposes English as some monolith to be mastered, our focus is on the most statistically prevalent challenges faced by Francophone professionals in English based on thousands of hours of private coaching. This isn't merely a question of saving time or simplifying, though those things can be good too. It's about making the precious time you're already investing in English more productive by using it to progressively build a mental map of high-value points de repère that can be worked on in a substantive and lasting way precisely because we've restricted the field. Let's say that at any given time you have an evolving list of 10 pronunciation challenges that you're working on. 10 is quite a reasonable number of points to keep alive in your mind, especially if we consider that there may also be points you've worked on previously that are no longer on your list. And let's say the famous idea and not idée point is on your current list. Its prominence there, the fact that 10% of your pronunciation attention is focused on that word, means that when you're on the metro reading and you see it, or when you're watching reruns of Friends and you hear it, you're really going to see it, and you're really going to hear it. 
From the perspective of your English training, it's a real event and its value will be exponentially higher than if your pronunciation list was comprised of 100 or even 50 words. That kind of high-value foreign language event just can't happen when your idea of perfectionnement de l'anglais is a bookshelf filled with exhaustive grammar books or glossaries of technical vocabulary. I know it sounds counterintuitive, especially at the advanced level, but less is more. You will make progress just with exposure. But when you restrict the focus of your training at any given moment, you begin to discover your fil rouge. And suddenly, instead of just passively absorbing English language content on the metro, you're working the content, linking your point de repère back to a mental map that grows stronger and stronger each time that connection is made. Did you hear that? Joey said, idea. Pronunciation break. In keeping with the spirit of the fil rouge, of the mental map of points of contact between French and English that we construct together here at Craft Anglais, today's pronunciation break introduces some new stuff while connecting it back to some old stuff. In episode two of The Cafeteria, I presented three of the pronunciation errors most frequently made by Francophone speakers of English. The plural form of the word month, months, the translation of the French idée, idea, and the translation of that word I can never quite pronounce in French, seuil, threshold. Today, we're adding three more frequently mispronounced words to the list, and as always, doing a little pronunciation training. Our exercises today will bring all six words into play, and you'll find them in written form in this episode's entry on the Craft Anglais platform. Okay, let's have today's first word. Determine. If I had to hazard a guess as to why this word is often pronounced determine, by francophones, I'd say it has to do with the existence of the very common English word mine, which can translate both the French le mien as well as mine, as in mine paritech. So if it's mine and mine, why is it not determine? This is a theme we've encountered previously and will most certainly come across in future pronunciation lessons, both here in the cafeteria and in the pronunciation space of the platform. In most languages, the pronunciation of the parts of a word, the prefixes, the suffixes, and so on, are susceptible to change as the number of syllables in the word increases and emphasis or stress changes as a result. Mine, dine, fine are all one-syllable words ending in the suffix I-N-E. And as one might expect, they share the same pronunciation. Now, determine is a three-syllable word. Please don't kill me, but in some three-syllable words, this I-N-E suffix is indeed pronounced like mine, dine, and fine. Take the word underline, for example, which translates the French souligner. If underline keeps the ein pronunciation of the I-N-E suffix, it's because the first syllable of the word is stressed, underline. With determine, however, the emphasis falls on the second syllable, determine. Now, I don't expect you to memorize these pronunciation rules. I 
don't think anybody does that. And there are always, sadly, exceptions. But it does provide a little insight into why a single suffix can be pronounced differently in different cases. To bring our exercise full circle, or full triangle, not only is there underline and determine, but there are three-syllable words with yet another distinct I-N-E pronunciation, like the word magazine. And now we know the problematic, it should be no surprise that the emphasis or stress here falls on the last syllable of the word. First syllable stress, underline. Second syllable stress, determine. Third syllable stress, magazine. Here, as with most pronunciation work, it's about committing the correct pronunciation to memory and not your conceptual memory, but what we call muscle memory. It's about seeing and saying the word enough times that a link is forged between your brain and your mouth and the correct pronunciation becomes spontaneous. In the meantime, let's all try together. Please repeat after me. Determine. Great. Now let's have that second word. Analysis. The language of analysis can be a kind of Pandora's box as a consequence of some key differences between the French and English. First, because analyse has three syllables in French, the four-syllable analysis can be tricky. This difficulty is compounded when it comes to the plural forms. In French, the singular and plural have precisely the same pronunciation, analyse. So, une analyse, des analyses. In English, however, we keep the four-syllable pronunciation, but make a subtle change in the final vowel sound. The singular ending is analysis, and the plural ending is analyses. Note that in the plural form, the S at the end of the word also moves from being an S, analysis, to a Z, analyses. While we're on the topic, let's add the word analyst, and let's try them all together. Please repeat after me. Analyst. Analysis. Analyses. Great. And the third and final word for today's pronunciation break? Associate. The tricky thing about the word associate is that it's the nominal form of a verb that, while written in precisely the same way, has a different pronunciation, to associate. While you'll sometimes hear acceptable variation in the pronunciation of the letter C, associate versus associate, American English and, to my knowledge, British English as well, make a clear distinction between associate or associate and to associate or to associate. So let's try together. Please repeat after me. An associate? To associate. An associate? To associate. Okay, now let's do a few exercises together based on our growing list of frequently mispronounced words. Idea, months, threshold, determine, analysis, and associate, as well as some of the associated words. Please repeat after me. The analyst is determined to analyze the idea. The associate's idea determined 
the threshold. This analysis is excellent, but these analyses are not. The associated analyses will be determined in the coming months. That does it for today's pronunciation break. Is there a pronunciation bête noire that you have a question about? Click over to the Craft Anglais community, tell us all about it, and I'll work it into a future episode of The Cafeteria. And now, it's time for office hours. Act 3, Office Hours. As always in the cafeteria, we conclude by taking questions from you, the Craft Anglais community. Today we have time for just one question, and it's a good one. Our question comes from Olivier, who asks, What's the difference between every day two words and every day one word? Great question. This same point comes up often in connection with the phrase sometime two words and the word sometimes one word. Let's look at both issues together since the problematic is the same. The single word versions every day and sometimes mean one thing and the two word versions while composed of similar elements signify something different. Let's start with every day. The single word version here translates the French quotidien and the idea of something common or routine. So, in my everyday life, I'm outgoing, but in fact, I'm very shy. Every day, the two-word version translates to les jours in the sense, every day, I take the metro to work. Now, with sometimes and some time, we're dealing with a slight difference. The S for sometimes, which is absent in the two-word sometime. The first sometimes translates the French parfois or de temps en temps, as in the phrase, sometimes I walk along the Seine daydreaming. The two-word version here translates the French du temps, as in the phrase, please give me some time to finish the report. Olivier, thanks for the question. That does it for this episode of The Cafeteria. Don't miss our next episode where we work on how to run meetings in English like a pro. We'll also take a deep dive into the pronunciation of ordinal numbers to make sure you're confident and clear when handling things like scheduling. And as always, we'll take questions from the Craft Anglais community. If there's a topic you'd like to hear featured in a future episode of The Cafeteria, just post to the community or hit me up in the messenger and I'll find a way to work it in. Until next time, stay safe and have a great weekend. Couchez Jean-Pierre. Pas bouger.